appreciate this song by Micah, and uh, hope you're praying for him. If it was your brother, a family member, you'd want their prayers. Take a business census today. Her dad is 48 hours from eternity and lost. Let's pray. It's always an honor to be here in this place. And as we look out at the student body here, we pray for you. I prayed this morning for each of you in my pro training class. By name, with your prayer request. God wants his people to pray. I haven't prayed for all my students yet by name. I will. I have a prayer notebook with your picture, your prayer request. I just got it a day or two ago. My secretary's put it together for me. I will say we want to be a friend to you. And we have a picture of the Rebels building. It's a quote by Dr. Kim from South Korea. He said this. He said, how can I say I love you? if I won't pray for you. Very convicting. Words are cheap. And I hope you will pray. I can assure you there's numbers of us here that are praying for you generally as a school population. We're praying for jobs. We're praying for your financial well-being, your physical well-being, your spiritual well-being. Because we know God hears and answers prayer. I have four goals for students here at West Coast Baptist College. And I've had these goals prior to coming here. I've been a college professor now. I'm in my 39th year. Since I was 21 years of age, I've been teaching college every year. I'm now 60. I pray that you'll have a heart for God. I pray that you will be soul conscious. And I must say, I, must, I really learned that here at West Coast Baptist College at Lancaster Baptist Church. I pray that you will learn if you don't have it, don't spend it. Because that will take you out of ministry. I pray you'll be teachable. But there's other things I pray for regarding the student body that on a regular basis, I pray that you'll have wisdom. Because God's word says wisdom is the principal thing, therefore get wisdom. And with all that getting, get understanding. And I pray through that that you will have the right friends. Because the right friends will be of inestimable value and help to you. And the wrong friends can destroy you. I don't even like to admit this. Because I love this school. I don't wear my high school rig or college rig. I wear a West Coast Baptist college rig. Pastor gave Dr. Getch and I one of these in 1999, 18 years ago. But even here, there are some who are the wrong friends. I probably don't know who they are right now. It's early in the semester. But we probably will know who they are ultimately. I want to challenge you 
find the right kind of friends. Good friends can help you in a multitude of different ways. I'll mention a few friends I have that are here that have helped me. The first person that I really knew here, although I taught people like Brother Firstso and Brother Schmidt when they were in college, was I came to work here because of one friend, Pastor Chapel. When I moved here, I'd never been here on a Sunday. I'd been here for one Wednesday night service. I'd heard him preach many times, and he had tried for a period of years to get me to come here. I was happily serving as a vice president of another college in Tennessee. And one day he asked me, as a friend would ask a friend, a question that hurt. He said, how's your fruit? And we all have the right questions at times like that. I said, well, I said, I've taught students who've been serving the Lord all over the world. I've been teaching for 20 years. He says, no, 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 Dr. R. He said, how's your soul winning fruit? I said, not too good. The Bible talks about the wounds of a friend. All he said, he didn't criticize me or critique me. He said, Doc, he said, I could help you with that. He turned around and walked away. At that time, I was 40, he was 35. And that night, I couldn't go to sleep. The next day, I agreed to see him. He offered to fly me out. I said, no, I'll get my own way. I don't want to owe you anything. <laughs> I said, I'll be out there preaching a couple of times next summer. And I said, I'll come by. He said, just make sure I'm there. I said, I'll come by. That's how I ended up here on a Wednesday night long before this auditorium was built. He's influenced me. He's got a passion for ministry, a passion for souls, a passion for this church. One day we were going to have a day we weren't going to talk about work. That's hilarious, the pastor. Am I right? <laughs> and we were cooking some salmon in his house. We are going to watch a football game. It was New Year's Day. He said, uh, let's just not talk about work. It lasted about 20 minutes. <laughs> he said, go get a piece of paper and a pencil. Let me just give you a few things. So much for the football game. I've learned things from my friend, Pastor Chapel. I've learned a lot from my friend, Dr. Getch. If I'd known Dr. Getch, and I did not know him until I came here. He came here the second year of the college, one year before I came. I think I would have come here sooner. I've learned much from his discipline, his heart for the Word of God, his heart for you. But probably only Dr. Shetler, and I know this, and I've seen it far many more times than Dr. Shetler has. You ought to see how a man like Dr. Getch responds to Pastor Chapel. It's amazed me. Pastor, whatever you'd like. Dr. Getch is 10 years older. He's preached in more places. In some circles, he's better known than Pastor Chapel. The Maranatha group where he grew up, where They've tried to get him at least twice to come back and be the president of his alma mater. I've learned much from him. He's been a great friend. I've learned from Dr. Shetler. What an encourager. He's happy even when it doesn't know what he's happy about. I'm telling you what. Brother Shetler, as most of you know, worked in another college for about 30 years, 10 years as a youth pastor, 20 years as a pastor. He was a campus parent to two of my brothers. They loved that man. He took time for them. He invested in their life. I'm thankful to call him friend. Today, Brother Getch gave me the title. He gave me the topic. And I prayed about it. I was thinking, boy, where should I go with this? 
And I think friends are super important. I'm thankful for longtime friends. There's a pastor in Banning, California, who was my roommate in Bible college in 1977. I referred him to that church. That's why he's pastor there. He had five daughters come to college here. Great friend. His wife's battling leukemia right now. I write he and his wife every week of their life. I want them to know they have a friend. I'm praying for Becky Sulowski. I'm thankful for longtime friends. I'm thankful for friends who impacted me when I was a student. I'm thinking of a man I have not seen since 1975 who, as a sophomore, walked me a freshman through my registration line when I was a lost freshman in a school at that time of 5,000 people at Bob Jones University. I'd love to find him and thank him. I'm thankful for a man whose name is Rich Sidlowski, still faithful in church today. And I walked into my room my sophomore year of college. My dad asked me to transfer to a Bible college, and I'm so grateful for that. Chapels were different at a Bible college than the liberal, liberal arts college I attended. I'm not saying there weren't good people there. There were. And I'm not saying that everyone should go to a Bible college, or I think everyone should go for at least a year because it's good for your heart. And I believe that for no other reason you'll be a better father and husband, a better wife and mother. And I got to that college. He said, all of our rooms are full. And they said, um, you have to live at a hotel. It's 17 miles away. Awesome. I didn't have a car. They said, no problem. We'll have a bus go twice, twice a day. I did not immediately have a good attitude. In fact, I maybe still do not have a good attitude about that. I got to my room at Balmoral Woods Inn in Crete, Illinois. It wasn't even in the same state as the college. <laughs> True. I walked to the room. There was three beds. They were full. But good news, there was a couch about five feet long. <laughs> you may not be able to tell from your vistage point, but I'm a little bit longer than five feet. In fact, six foot six, 200 none of your business pounds. So, <laughs> I looked at that couch. I did not need to look at myself. I knew how long I was, and I'm going, this is unbelievable. And I said something I don't usually say now. I said, not good, instead of all good. And an upperclassman, his name was Phil Murhalski, says, hey, you're pretty tall. He said, why don't you take the bed? I'll take the couch. And of course, living for others, I said, great. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm telling you about it 40 plus years later. I wonder if the Lord chooses to tarry what your roommates will remember about you 40 years from now. The Bible states in Proverbs chapter 18, verse 24, a man that hath friends must show himself friendly. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Let's pray as we begin today. Lord Jesus, I ask for your help. I've tried to prepare. I know the people have prayed about this message. I know my wife, even now, she sits in a nursery, has prayed. I pray for our students that they will have ears to hear. I pray that they will be discerning and careful in their choice of friends. 
And they'll realize that friends do make a difference. I pray these things in Jesus' name and asking for your help once again. Amen. The people in our lives have a great influence over us. I am a believer in the statement that nearness will equate with likeness. Jim Rome, a very famous blogger and writer of today, I don't agree with everything he says, but he said this. He said, and I quote, You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. You are the average of the five people you spend the most time with. By the way, that's why it's good for me to spend time with Dr. Getch, Pastor Chapel, Dr. Shetler, Jerry Furso, and others. They edify me. That's a Bible word. It means to build up, to make stronger. I hope you will minister to people. I hope you'll reach out, certainly as a soul winner, certainly as someone who will try to mentor and model, certainly as someone who will try to disciple, certainly as someone who will try to be hospitable. We ought to do that. We're commanded to do those things. But your friends should edify you. There was a young lady who came to our college. I'll never forget, she was a well-known student on campus, and Charity Miller, you'd remember her well, outstanding girl, pastor's daughter, traveled with me on a tour group, was just a tremendous tour group member. She said to me and asked me about this girl, she said, does she have any good friends? Very perceptive question. Because nearness is likeness. I rarely quote people from 2,000 plus years ago, but there was a philosopher, a Stoic, by the name of Epictetus. Epictetus said this, and I quote, I put it on Twitter this morning, the key is to keep company only with people who uplift you, whose presence calls forth your best. Whose presence calls forth your best. Do your friends make you want to be a better Christian? I have probably gone so many with Brother Jerry for so 70 or 80 times. He challenges me as a soul he helps me. Who helps you to be a better soul winner? A better student of God's word? More faithful in devotions? To have a good spirit rather than a murmuring and complaining spirit that God hates? Who will help you with that? Who will edify you? This morning I want to look very quickly at four types of friends. I'm going to start with the negative first. and You don't usually do that, but I think it will be helpful. I want to talk about the wrong kind of friend. And I'm going to use a biblical illustration. Most of you know the name of Jonadab. Jonadab was a bad friend. Very simply, friends, a bad friend will help you to do the wrong thing. I had a friend in high school, and I did not give my life to the Lord until my second semester of Bible college. And I didn't smoke and drink and do drugs and things like that, but I wasn't living sold out for the Lord Jesus Christ. This friend, I won't say his name. I prayed for him. I tried to reach out to him and sent him my kid's CD and told him I prayed for he and his family, found out he was a recovering alcoholic. This friend used to say this. He said, let's go find some trouble. By the way, he was often able to do that. And here I was following along. He was the best looking guy in the class, at least one of the two best good looking guys. I was not one of the other ones. 
He was the quarterback of the football team, the pitcher of the baseball team, the shortstop of the baseball team, and good looking and very personable. Probably the second best pure athlete in our school. He said, let's go find trouble. He meant, let's go get, get in trouble. A good person to avoid. I didn't always do that, and I got in trouble. More than once I said, man, I wish I hadn't gone with him. Take that as a warning. The Bible says a very interesting statement. It said, but Amnon had a friend. Amnon had a friend whose name is Jonadab, the son of Shemaiah, David's brother. And it says this, and Jonadab was very subtle. Dr. Getch would think of this instantly. And the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field. So if your friend is subtle, is tricky, is getting away with things, you might immediately make a connection with Jonadab and with Satan. Not good. The wrong kind of friend. Most of you know what happened with Amnon. He committed an egregious sin. Essentially raped someone that ruined her life, ruined his. It caused great harm and heartache. Because Amnon had a friend. I've often thought as I've visited hospitals, and I was in the hospital five out of seven days last week, and I know someone who's dealing with lung cancer right now. The friend who gave them that first cigarette, I'll put that friend very euphemistically and in quotations. The friend who gave the first alcohol, the friend who helped someone go down the first steps of the road to immorality, whether it's adultery or fornication or concupiscence, the wrong kind of friend. You know, the friend who says, well, if you really love me, you'll do this. That's no friend, my friend. There's three facts about the wrong friend very quickly. The wrong friend is subtle. Never forget Genesis 3.1. The serpent was more subtle than he beats the field. Be on guard for that subtle person. Hey, no one will know if we do this. I mean, what's really wrong with going to Wingstop? It's, they're open till 12 or 1. I mean, let's just sneak out and get it. No one will know. We'll get our friend to let us in. Obey those that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, and they that must give an account. I don't think it's sinful to go to Wingstop at 12 o'clock, unless the rule is you're supposed to be in the dormitory. Then it's a sin, because you're not obeying those in authority. Jodadab was subtle. Synonyms for that, I looked them up. Clever, crafty, devious. Are your friends clever and crafty and devious? Watch out. Warning. So was Jonadab. Be on guard. Secondly, the wrong kind of friend is often scornful. Scornful. They criticize that teacher they don't like. They make fun of a sermon. We've all heard it. Maybe even we've joined in. It's amazing the deep theology in most college dormitory rooms, especially amongst the preacher boys. I remember 
a young man saying when I was at Bible college, why are we having R.G. Lee preach? He preached a sermon called Payday Someday. He preached that sermon 3,200 times, and with that one sermon, over one million people accepted the Lord Jesus Christ. The boy was next door to me in my room at that same hotel. I could say his name right now. I won't. He was really, really gifted. He would remind you a lot of the natural preachability of like a Joshua Mark. He was just, he was good. He had a gift. Today, R.G. Lee is in heaven. That next door young man, he's no longer in ministry. I'm not happy about that. I wish he were. He was very, very gifted. He had a gift in preaching. A great communicator. Trust those. Don't be scornful. Don't be a critic. So, the wrong friends are subtle. The wrong friends are scornful. By the way, the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 8, and I beg of you, I plead, get in the habit of reading Proverbs every day. It will help you. Proverbs 29, verse 8 says, scornful men bring a city into a snare. Let me repeat that. Scornful men bring a city into a snare. We're probably more familiar with the verse we find in Psalm 1-1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. They're just sitting around talking. You're blessed if you don't sit with them. So the wrong kind of friends are subtle. They're scornful. And finally, oh, by the way, Proverbs 1, I really learned this from Dr. Getsch many years ago. Cast out the scorner and the simple will be made wise. Get them away from you. By the way, if they're still here, you get away from them. So we see the subtle, we see the scorner, and finally we see the sinful. The sinful. Most frequently, sin is not done in isolation. Oh, there are some secret sins. Secret sins of the heart. Sometimes it's a secret sin of pornography. Watching the wrong thing, reading the wrong thing. But usually, people want someone to sin with them. We've seen that time after time after time after time. It was Genesis chapter 3, verse number 6. And when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes... And a tree to be desired to take one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat. Same verse, and gave also unto her husband with her. Be careful when the wrong friend is subtle, is a scorner, or is sinful. I always wonder about friends who help people go the wrong direction. Even when I wasn't living for the Lord. I was more of a nominal Christian. I knew this. I didn't want to bring my five brothers or one sister down. In my early teenage years, and I didn't have a lot of albums back then or cassettes back then, but I sure didn't share it with my brother. I didn't want to bring him down. My soul. That's not love. So we see that there is a friend that is a believer that we ought to seek to avoid. But then secondly, and this will be much more common here at West Coast Baptist College. It'll be more common in your family. There is the misguided friend. The misguided friend. 
Proverbs chapter 14, verse number 12 says, There is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. I have no doubt there's many people in this college who, by faith, you stepped out. And by the way, God blesses faith. I saw two girls sitting right down here, one from 63 that I recruited this summer. Two on the fourth row, two in the front row. And I said to them, as I always do, going to college is you take a step of faith. And God blesses faith. The high priests were on the, step the, on the edge of the Jordan River. They're holding the Ark of the Covenant. God says, step into the water. That doesn't make sense. It's a river, not a stream, not a brook, it's a river. But when they stepped in, God did something great. The rivers were rolled back. But nothing happened until they took a step of faith. I'm thankful for you and you and you and you that took a step of faith. I look forward to seeing what happens next. I'm proud of you for doing that. And there's many others here that I don't know that were, maybe you made the decision at youth conference or college days or other tour groups came to your place. But just where I was sitting, I saw four of you this morning. I'm proud of you for that. But I have no doubt that in their lives, in the lives of others, there were some who said, oh, don't go right now. Maybe they said, save more money. Or maybe your grandma's sick. Or whatever. They're not bad people, but they were misguided. Do you know the Apostle Peter did that? I wrote a study school series. I called it The Education of a Disciple. I learned a lot from Peter because I do many of the same things he did. I wrote one on Paul last summer. I'm just going, wow, this guy is incredible. But Peter, what happened with Peter? Well, he's with the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew chapter 16. Jesus said, I must needs go to Jerusalem. Now, remember, this is the Son of God. He's perfect. He's been healing people, raising people from the dead. If Jesus says, I need to go to Jerusalem, how many think the right answer would say, wonderful Lord, we're going with you? Would you all agree that's probably the right answer, right? Not Peter. Oh, no, 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 no. Just two verses later, verse number 23 of Matthew 16, he said, the Bible says this, he began to rebuke the Lord. (laughs) Wow. He began to rebuke the Lord. Sometimes you'll have friends who love you and care about you. I quoted one verse, Proverbs 14, 12, there's a way that seemeth right to man, but the ends are the ways of death. Less than two chapters later, Proverbs chapter 16, almost the same verse again. The Bible says, there is a way that seemeth right unto a man, but the end thereof are the ways of death. People say, I really think this is the right thing. A young man talked to me about a week ago. My grandmother wants me to come home and be with her. Lord bless her. Has God called you to serve him? Maybe you need to work in the summertime. Probably about 85% of you, that's the situation. Now, if your parents are paying your way, or you've got a trust fund that pays your way, your parents want you to come home for the summer, go home. But most people in college need to work. I can't tell you how many times I've had people say to me, I'm a, I'm a big fan of the Bill Rice Ranch. I'm a big fan of the Wilds. They're two of my favorite camps. I think if you go there, you'll be stronger for going there. But there's some people who can't afford to go there. I think Bill Rice Ranch pays $50 a week. Is that right? Around that. It's a great camp. Might even be my camp of choice. I love the Wilds. I think Derek Whitman was greatly impacted the Wilds last summer. I thank God for it. Talked to someone else the other day. Worked at the Wilds. I said, I like the preachers they bring in there. 
And I like the fact that they actually mentor the young people and meet with each of the counselors once a week. I like that. And you may say, well, my friends are all going to work at camps, but seek counsel. What do you need to do? So we see, first of all, be on guard against the wrong friend, the Jonadabs. Be on guard against the misguided friend. But thirdly, there's the real friend. Proverbs chapter 17, verse 17 said, A friend loveth at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. Adversity. I thank you for a dorm soup I saw with a dorm guy in the hospital last Saturday for hours. A brother's born for adversity. Turn with me, if you will, very quickly to 1 Samuel chapter number 18, and I must hasten for Samuel 18. Right now, I just had a wonderful realization that clock's four minutes fast. That's a blessing. <laughs> Sometimes I forget. That's a bummer. All right. First Kings chapter 18 it tells the story of David and Jonathan. You talk about an awesome friendship. By the way, David was a great friend to Jonathan long after Jonathan's death. I don't have the time this morning. I could do an entire sermon. In fact, I wrote a Sunday school series of David's life. There's a whole chapter on being a friend. It's on David and Jonathan. A Sunday school lesson. Chapter 18, verse 1. It came to pass when he had made an end of speaking with Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit with the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Look down to verse 3. That David, Jonathan David made a covenant because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was upon him and gave it to David and his garments, even to his sword and to his bow and to his girdle. Let me tell you a few things about David and Jonathan very quickly. I wish I could tell you, take time to talk about a midnight friend. What are you willing to do when it's the difficult times, the hard times, when you're tired? I've had some midnight friends in my lifetime. I went to be at a service last week in Las Vegas, and I taught at 7.30, 8.30, and 9.30. I went to chapel, and I'd be at that service in Las Vegas. It's about a four-hour drive, and I knew I was going to be tired. I had a busy week, and I asked a friend. I said, would you go with me? I said, I think I'll be fine, but if I get tired, I don't want to crash. And, you know, would you go with me? And I drove all the way to Las Vegas, got there, went to the service, had a meal beforehand. It was a lengthy service honoring Dr. Dave Tice for his 40th anniversary, and gave a plaque for pastor to presentation. And Dave Young spoke that night. It was great. We got back in the car and headed back. I drove about two and a half, three hours. And, man, I was tired. I said, would you drive for an hour? Is 70-year-old Roby Roach in my Sunday school. I said, that's what I've been waiting for. He drove for an hour. I was preaching up in the Bay Area one time, and there was a man pastor wanted me to have a meal with here in Los Angeles. I was supposed to speak for Brother Bill Bryson at the Lighthouse Baptist Church in Pleasanton. It's about a five or six-hour drive, and at least five hours. And the pastor said, I'd like you to have dinner with this man on Friday night in Los Angeles. Oh, my soul. I got home at 11 o'clock. Brother Roach drove with me. I drove about three or four hours. I said, would you drive an hour or two? I've got to speak at 9.30 in the morning. He's been a midnight friend. Are you a midnight friend to anyone? I could talk about that. If you are a real baseball fan, you might know who is famous for wearing number 42. If you're a Yankee fan, you'd know Mariano Rivera, the great reliever. But there's someone who wore it before him. Does anyone know who's famous for wearing that number? 
Anybody? Yes, sir? Jackie Robinson. No one in baseball could ever wear that number again. It's retired forever. Rivera was the last to wear it. When he retired, they said it will never be issued by any team ever. Jackie Robinson, for those of you who don't know, was an all-sport athlete at UCLA. He played baseball, football, basketball, and ran track. He was an amazing athlete. But during that day and time, he had a huge strike against him. He was an African-American when no African-Americans played baseball. But there was a man by the name of Branch Rickey from Ohio who was the general manager of the Dodgers. And he wanted to bring someone on the team who would break the color barrier in baseball. Obviously, Robinson was that man. By the way, he was not the best black player available. Maybe Satchel Paige, the incredible pitcher. Maybe Josh Gibson, who is said to be the greatest home run hitter who ever lived. They know he hit home runs over 550 feet. You follow baseball today, there's a guy named Aaron Judge, who this year hit one 498 feet. Prodigious home runs. He's a rookie. He's got 48 home runs. Gibson was hitting him 70 feet farther. But they didn't bring up Satchel Paige, this amazing pitcher. I could tell you stories about him or Josh Gibson, this great catcher and hitter. They brought up Jackie Robinson because they said this. They knew he wouldn't hit back when hit or spit back when people spit in his face, or get incredibly mad when they go to a hotel, and most of the, <laughs> the farthest west any team was at that time was St. Louis, when a hotel wouldn't let him sleep with all the white ball players. Part of his original contract was he wouldn't respond. But there was a game when he made an error, and the crowd rose up against him. They were calling him everything filthy and vile you could know. But the Brooklyn Dodgers had a shortstop. His name was Pee Wee Reese. And Pee Wee Reese walked over to Jackie Robinson, who was a good six, eight inches taller. And Reese walked over to him after Robinson made the air. He was a second baseman. Reese was a shortstop. And Pee Wee Reese reached up and just put his arm around his buddy. And things suddenly just got quiet. Jackie Robinson said this about that in his biography. He said, this man was my friend. And he said, that arm around my shoulder saved my career. He was ready to quit baseball. Can I tell you something more important than baseball? It's ministry. It's a whole lot more important. You're going to put your arm around a shoulder, sophomore, junior, senior, some freshman. Oh, Dr. Weaver just gave me a name yesterday. He said, you need to reach out to this guy. I've already met with him. Invited my house next week. We'll try to be a friend to him. I wonder who we can keep in ministry. How do we see Jonathan being a real friend? I must hasten. He gave of his resources. He gave his shield, his sword, his girdle. That was an outer garment that wrapped around you. Years later, <laughs> just look up the story of Mephibosheth. Time will not allow Oh, by the way, David went and got Jonathan and Saul's bones and brought them back and buried them. I could talk a long time about David and Jonathan. He gave of his resources. By the way, he gave of his time. David was hiding from Saul. He was in the field. Jonathan left the king's table, went out to find his friend and encourage him. You might have to leave the comfort of your dorm room. You might have to miss a meal 
God forbid. Oh, that's right. Jesus did that to visit the woman at the well of Samaria. And he said, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. He gave of his time. And he gave of his influence. He went back and says in 1 Samuel chapter 19, verse number 4, listen to what it says. And Jonathan spoke good of David unto Saul his father. That was not easy to do. Saul hated David. He tried to kill him. He was chasing him down through the hills of Samaria and Judea. He spoke up for his friend. Will you speak up for your friend? Will you try to help him? It was a lost cause. But Jonathan spoke up for David. I love that. I learned from that. I also want to ask you this. I wonder what you would do with someone who's not even your friend. The Word of God says, as much as you do it to the least of these, you've done it unto me. Let me tell you a brief story. Her name was Sarah Tuholsky. Sarah Tuholsky played softball for the University of Western Oregon. They were in the playoffs. They were playing Central Washington. She hit the first home run of her career. You can imagine how exciting that would be. I played baseball. I was a line drive hitter. And uh, I remember one time hitting it over a fence in dead center field. Man, that was exciting. Didn't have many home runs. Had a good bad air, but not a lot of home runs. In the playoffs, she hit a home run over the fence. She took off running. She missed first base. You know if you play baseball, if you miss a base, they hit the ball, the pitcher throws back, they step in the bag, you're out. There were two people on. She stopped to turn around. I want to show you a brief video of what happened. stop the video for just a second if you can. When she stopped to turn around, she tore a ligament in her knee. She couldn't even walk. Now the interesting thing, you might look at that and you say, wow, look at her teammates carrying her around. Those weren't her teammates. Those were the girls on the other team. Because the first base coach said if her teammates helped her, she'd be called out. She could go back to first base and a pinch runner would come in, but they have to stop with a single. So the members of the Central Washington University softball team stunned them by carrying Sarah Tuholsky all the way around. Finish the video. Thank you. Oh, by the way, when they did that, they lost the game. They were out of the playoffs. Sarah's team went on. 
Sarah never played again. That was her last at bat she ever had. But they made a difference in someone's life. David said this. He said, that which cost me nothing, I would not have. Are you willing to pay a price to help someone? A roommate. Someone on the bus route. Finally, I close with this. Let me remind you that we all have a best friend. There was only one friend who was willing to die for you. His name is Jesus. Can I challenge you, my friend, today to live for him? To love him? The psalmist said in Psalm 73, verse 28, but it is good to draw nigh to God. That's why we encourage you to walk with God, to read your Bible, to pray. Nicodemus knew to come to him. Zacchaeus called out to him. He's always accessible. Isaiah said in Isaiah 59, verse 1, Behold, the Lord's hand is not shortened that it cannot save, neither is your heavy that it cannot hear. He ever liveth, Hebrews 7, verse 25, to make intercession for us. He's waiting. He's waiting to hear from you. He's waiting to answer your prayers. He's waiting to help you. Let me challenge you, don't forget your best friend. This morning, I hope I challenge you that there's some friends you need to avoid. There's some friends, they're, they're just wrong. There's some friends that, quite honestly, are misguided. There's some good friends. I hope you'll bind with them and strengthen one another. But finally this morning, I pray that you remember your best friend. Let's pray this morning. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the fact that you've been such a good friend to me.